Hello everyone, welcome to this week's edition of the Spanish Football Podcast. I'm Phil Kitch from Elides. Sid Lowe is with me. Hello, Sydney. Hello, Philip. How are you? I'm all right, mate. You're back in Spain. You're in. London I am back in Spain. Weekend, yeah. So you didn't manage to. You didn't manage to go to any games. But I know it's terrible. To, you managed to watch quite a lot, didn't you? I watched. I watched actually possibly more than I normally do here. Yeah. Because of course, when you're actually sitting in front of a TV screen, it's, it's kind of easier to rack up the volume. Yeah. What was the What was the coverage like? Uh, the coverage. There was this exceptionally handsome sort of Hellenic-looking man. I, I don't know if maybe uh-huh. he was Turkish or something. Yeah. <laughs> no. no. Um, and the coverage was magnificent. Actually, I must say, obviously, yeah. I don't normally get the chance to watch La Liga TV, um, ex- except yes. when I'm on it, and I'm not often on it on your weekend show, as, uh, a, a fact of which, uh, a fact about which you are most unhappy. Um, I, yes, I am. Very and, and I was really impressed. Really, really impressed the the, the studio coverage, but the commentaries as well. Um, it was yeah, it was very, very good indeed. I thought. Thanks, Sid. It means a lot coming from you. It means a lot. Um, match day twenty seven. Then this is what happened. Uh, lots basically uh, to to, yeah, to, to loads, resume. Yeah. Loads happen. Uh, these are the results, and then we've got loads of talking points uh, to get through. On Friday, Sevilla were held to a nil nil draw at the Estadio Mendizorroza by Alaves. A big result in the title race because it meant that Sevilla fell eight points behind Real Madrid, who won 4-1 at the Bernabeu on Saturday night, uh, beating Real Sociedad in a really, really convincing display. Elsewhere on Saturday, uh, Osasuna won only their third home game of the season, beating Inform Villarreal uh, 1-0. Espanyol got their first win of the calendar year, beating Getafe 2-0. Getafe are still the only side who haven't won away from home all season. And Valencia rounded off a, a fantastic week for them after making it through to the Copa del Rey final in midweek. They beat Granada 3-1, which turned out to be the final game in charge of Granada for Robert Moreno. Bobby Brown sacked in the early hours of uh, of Sunday morning. Uh, then on Sunday, uh, Cadiz got their first home win of the season. Their first home win in La Liga with fans since 2006. Uh, Cadiz 2, Rio nil. Six consecutive defeats for Rio and they are looking over their shoulder now. They're getting sucked into the relegation battle. Uh, Barcelona had to come from behind to beat Elche 2-1 at the Estadio Martinez Valero. There was a tremendous game at the Estadio Balaidos, which Celta won in the end 4-3 against Mallorca, thanks to a 96th-minute penalty by your friend and mine, Big Barry Aspas. And then the uh, final game of the uh, weekend saw Atletico Madrid beat Real Betis 3-1 at the Estadio Benito Villamarín thanks to a brace from João Félix. Félix, we've got Monday Night Football. It's Athletic Club against Levante. And we've got a big week coming up for our patrons. We've got a Q&A pod out on Tuesday answering all of your questions. We've got a bonus pod on Friday covering Real Madrid against PSG in the Champions League and Barca, Sevilla and Betis in the Europa League. Plus, we'll have a new episode of TSFP Presents at the Games, which is our guide to watching football in Spain. Uh, That'll be out also this week. It costs just over four euros a month. You get absolutely loads of content. Come and try it out. Um, You won't be disappointed. Uh, Talking points then. Uh, Let's... uh, Let's talk about the leaders. Let's talk about Real Madrid, who are now eight points clear of Sevilla after coming from behind to beat Real Sociedad 4-1 at the Bernabeu. Real Sociedad scored early on a penalty from Mikel Oyarzabal, which turned out to be their only shot on target of the game. But Real Madrid responded absolutely brilliantly. And we were trying to think, 
uh, if this was their best performance of the season. And we came to the conclusion, Sidley, that it probably was. I think it probably was. Um, the the best I could think of was the was was the Mallorca one, um, but that was midweek with Mallorca. I think if I remember rightly resting seven first team players because they felt they couldn't play Sunday then then give everything at the Bernabeu and then play Sunday again um, and you know the nature of the opponents although admittedly I say the nature of the opponents um, and, and it makes me slightly uneasy to say that because Railsworth have been really quite bad for a little while now um, and I thought were really bad in this game and it's difficult to judge isn't it the the, the kind of the overall level of performance because games go through moments and, and having scored that opening goal it did feel like Real Madrid was slightly struggling to find a way through but then scored two absolutely belting goals um, from, from almost nothing Camavinga and, and Modric but I don't really want to say from nothing because I thought the last 15 or 20 minutes of that first half maybe a little bit less than that maybe the last 10 or 15 when they started to really go for Ralph I thought they were fantastic. Like, really, really good. And so although they seemed to be struggling to actually find their way through, and although it took a couple of outrageous 30-yard as well, 25-yard as whatever they were, there was definitely something building in the performance, which, which as I say, I, I thought was, was exceptional. Just want to touch on that aspect and that notion of, of something building. The way Real Madrid produced comebacks at the Bernabeu, it's something, it's something quite extraordinary and it's difficult to explain in words and, and, and bring a sort of tangible logic to proceedings. But it's almost like, it's almost like the crowd and by in turn the players and by in turn the opponents expect Real Madrid to yes. come back. There is an expectation that goes round the stadium, it gets swept up in, in the noise, they cheer on the players, they begin to believe... The opponents, and we I listened to Mikel Marino speaking uh, to us on La Liga TV after uh, the game, and, and he was saying it's, it's really difficult when 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 the crowd get up behind them and they push them on to this comeback, and it's and it's when they're when they're trailing. By the way, this doesn't necessarily yeah. happen when they're leading. It's when they're trailing, and it's really difficult for the uh, for the opponents. It's like I said, it's it's difficult to sort of tangibly explain what it's like. We've been in the stadium on nights like that when they're playing and they're coming back they've gone behind but you know you kind of it's know. inevitable yeah yeah, yeah absolutely um, I, I'll give you the line that I really quite like um, I spoke to Michel Gonzalez about this of course Michel who early this season was the Getafe manager but played for Real Madrid and a big part of the Quinta del Buitre and of course they were the ones who if you like sort of started this tradition um, maybe they didn't start it actually because I think the first of the famous European comebacks was against Derby County in 1976 and that's pre pre-Quinta but there's this idea that this was a team that would come back um, time and time again in Europe and if you look through the, through the numbers the, the, the numbers are extraordinary it's not just losing games it's losing games heavily and coming back in, in Europe uh, and obviously it's encapsulated in the idea of the spirit of Juanito when he famously said after a defeat against Inter Milan, hey, look out, 90 minutes of the Bernabeu is a long time. And he said it in slightly ropey pretend Italian, basically. Not, not 90 minutes in the Bernabeu, son molto longo. Um, and this created this, this mythology, if you like, of the comeback, which was also a practical reality. Um, and it's practical reality in a way that it's not really now, because it was built around the idea that this line, which was the first tackle, the first corner, and the first foul, have to be ours. And the first shot in the game have to be ours. And it was aggressive and it was nasty. And Madrid, for all the artists, had some, some bad bastards in that team as well. Mm. So they would, they would fly into opponents and really go for them and create this atmosphere that create, built this idea that it's coming now. It's going to happen. Anyway, the quote from, from Mitchell talking to him about it, and he said, he said, look, I don't know 
entirely why. And he said, and in fact, I'd be willing to bet that the statistics don't even bear it out. He said, you might look at our history and the statistics might actually say that this is a myth and it's not true. He said, but there's something about that moment when you're wearing a Real Madrid shirt that you feel like a mini Incredible Hulk. And he said, like, mm-hmm. like you just can't, you know, nothing's going to stop you now. Uh, and actually a few years ago, because this was such a big thing was made of this in Europe, I checked the stats and it is a myth. <laughs> and actually in the, in the, of the last sort of 15 times they've had to come back, They'd only succeeded, I think it was three or something. I can't remember the actual numbers, but it was very, very low. But you're right that something builds. I mean, that's in Europe, and, and, and that's even and, more sort of special and, and, and tangible, and it sort of ramped up the volume, if you like. But domestically, if they ever go behind at the Bernabeu, you, kind of, you, you expect yeah. them to come back always. Now, and part of that, of course, is just purely logic, in that Real Madrid mm. are a better team than the immense majority of teams that go to the Bernabeu, and therefore they should win. Um, and, and those chances should eventually happen. And why a lot of them happen late? Well, I suppose because it's just a cumulative effect of a game of, of, of attacking. Uh, eventually one's going to fall. Uh, again, statistically, it doesn't always. But there is that kind of belief. The other thing, of course, that it, that it does is it leads you to think, imagine if the Bernabeu could somehow find that voice or trick itself into believing they're trailing all the time. They would never have to make comebacks because the noise would be great from the start. And, and this is certainly a conversation that, that has been had with players who play for Real Madrid, not so much this generation as previous generations, that they kind of looked at the Bernabeu and then looked at stadiums like San Mamés or Anfield or um, I don't know, some of the German stadiums and thought, if, we could, if, if only we could do that, hmm. we, we, we would be an even better team. Hmm. Anyway, we're talking all about this because, yes, Real Madrid came back against Real Sociedad and there was a, a real roar from the crowd, roaring them on, particularly in the last 10 minutes or so of the first half, but also within the context of them exactly having exactly a big Champions League game coming up on Wednesday night against and PSG, I, where they I, are trailing. I, I don't know about you, but I think it's really interesting. And I'm not just talking about us, uh, you and me. I think it's really interesting that on a weekend in which, I'm going to say it, Real Madrid won the league. The league's done now. It's not, but okay. On a weekend in which in which they took a really significant step, I think, to winning the league, um, that so much of this game has been seen within the context of Europe. In fact, almost all of it. Not in the context of, right, it's now eight points over Sevilla, which, to be honest, at this stage of the season, has only ever been overturned once in history. Um, a lead that big. But everything. So Ancelotti talking about it. The players talking about it. The reaction of the fans even post-game. Chanting, si se puede, yes you can. And all of this in the context of, it's not, I don't know, there's a bit of me that thinks, does it even count as a comeback when you're only 1-0 down and you're playing at home? Basically, <laughs> you're, being, you're being asked to win, no more than that. Mm-hmm. You're not being asked to kind of, oh my God, you've got to turn around three goals. It's 1-0. It's 1-0 against Madrid. Against and you're a, playing at the Bernabeu. Against a good team. Yeah, I mean, I'll yeah. be honest here. I'm not sure if they are a good team, but I suppose in the okay. first leg they showed they are a very, very they, they can be a very good team. All right. Uh, Real Madrid have to take on this very good team without Casemiro, without Fernand Mendy, yeah. and possibly without Tony Cross as well. So uh, a number of se- selection issues for Carlo Ancelotti to try and uh, navigate. Did we get any sort of clues as to how he might line up from, uh, from the game against La Real? Well, I think the performance of Camavinga gives us a clue that, that he will play. Um, and I, I think that I, but I must admit, I don't think I have an answer in terms mm. of who is the pivot, who is the Casemiro position. Um, I still think it's plausible that we see an extra midfielder. I still mm. think it's plausible that we see Camavinga with Modric and Valverde 
and depending on whether he gets fit in time, Cross. But let's see whether whether whether, whether Tony Cross makes it because mm, yeah. I look, I I I have this doubt with Tony Cruz all the time, and every time I have this doubt, like, and it starts to get sort of bigger, he mm. plays brilliantly. But sometimes in the high uh, intensity, high pace games. I sometimes wonder if him not being there is less of a problem than it should be. If you see what, what, I mean. what did you say to me on on Saturday night? I think I said, "Is it a good thing that he's missing?" Yes. To which I replied, "What are you talking about?" Yes, exactly, and I agree with you. <laughs> and, and I float the question because I think he's a wonderful footballer, but I just wonder in those games where it's that little bit quicker, that little he just, bit more. He slows hand. everything to slows down everything. Yeah, I, and and I say this with a with a very kind of. Very heavy uh, Elise, and, and actually a slightly heavy heart because I love watching him play. Mm. But it's just a bit of me that just wanders. And, and that makes me think maybe it's about what you surround him with rather than just about him, actually. All right, we're, we're really looking forward to that game. Even from a, from a neutral perspective, it's an absolutely oh, massive clash. And yeah. there are so many, so many stories, so many narratives as well that uh, it, you're not going to be able to take your eyes off it. Uh, Real Madrid against PSG on Wednesday night. Uh, back to La Liga and back to the weekend. And, and Barca coming from behind... To be Elche at 2-1, four wins in a row now for Barca in all competitions. What do we make of, of this performance? Because they were 1-0 down at half-time in a, in, a, in a first half, which they really should have probably been ahead in. Yeah, and I think in a way, that's if you're taking this... Uh, I was going to use the word globally, that's not what you call it in English, is it? Uh, as a whole. As a whole. <laughs> yeah, as a whole. <laughs> Let's take this holistically. Yes. Um, then I think in a way, that's the conclusion, isn't it? That yes, they were forced to come from behind. Yes, there can be some debate about a couple of big handball decisions, one that goes their way and one that doesn't. But I think if you take it as an analysis of the game and the performance, the number of chances they made is probably the thing that you're most left with. Because I think earlier in the season, we would look at Barcelona and say, even on those occasions when they kept the ball reasonably well, they weren't very threatening. They weren't really a team that you kind of felt that, that they were going to create loads of chances. They weren't a team where you felt they were going to score lots of goals. And now it's happening. Now, obviously, look, let's state the bleeding obvious here. Why is it happening now? Well, they did buy three forwards in the winter, and that makes a big difference. And one of them, in the case of Obama Yang, genuinely is a goal scorer. And one of them, in the case of Ferran Torres, who did score this time, but could have scored five. And in fact, probably should have scored two or three at least. Um, but they're, they're making things happen now in a way that wasn't happening earlier in the season. And I think that's really quite significant. Um, and I think that is the thing that you're sort of left with this. I saw a statistic, by the way, and unfortunately I haven't got it to hand. You might be able to tell me because you normally have the statistics in a way that I don't always. Right. But this was something like the sixth time in a row. No, here it is. I've got it here. Fifteen times. I just can't believe this is even true, but I read it in El Pais. I've even got the note of the paper I read it in. Fifteen times this season, Barcelona have let in the first shot they faced. Yep, that seems uh, extraordinary it, to me. Yeah, it's, I think it was forty percent of their of their of their matches they've conceded with the first goal. They've, they've, I mean, they've just, they've, from the first shot on target. Yeah, it's just an amazing statistic, and it, <laughs> it it brings us back a little bit to what we've said about All Black this season, and it asks questions about Ter Stegen, because even when you say, "All right, if you go through these fifteen shots, I'd be willing to bet that probably only thirteen. Sorry, I'd probably be willing to bet that at least thirteen of them are not his fault in the slightest." But mm. there might be one or two errors in there, mm. if that. But it's just sort of that sense that he's human now. 
the things mm. that he used to say he's not and even if you can't say that's bad you can sort of say that's not what it once was uh, Memphis came off the bench and scored his 10th league goal of the season he's Barca's top scorer he's been yeah. obviously a little bit forgotten about because they bought an entire new front line in in January and he's been out injured but he's he's fit now he's he's available is he going to start any games? I don't know. I genuinely, <laughs> I genuinely don't because we talked about this even before the winter window. We were talking about how we liked him, but we weren't sure how much of a natural fit he was. Mm. If, if there was something about the way that he played that sort of didn't necessarily suit the rest of the Barcelona players, except, funny enough, I think Ansu Fati benefited from playing with him. In the same way that Messi would benefit from Suarez, that idea of the, the guy that holds and then releases around the edge of the area. And we saw that. I think it's. I think it's the goal that, that that Ansu scores against Valencia at home, where Memphis does that, holds a couple of people off, and just kind of drops it into Ansu's path for a, for a shot curled into the far corner. It was very Messi and Suarez esque, I thought. But I don't know how much he's going to play. Um, one thing's for sure, he can take a penalty, can't he? Bloody hell! I think it might be the best penalty I've ever seen. Certainly this season, I've, I've not seen anyone strike a penalty. Like I've that. I've was... not seen a penalty like that since Kevin Pressman did it for Sheffield Wednesday, and of course he was the goalkeeper. And he basically wow, took a, he that basically, was an extraordinary nineties reference. Yeah, yeah. And, and, but anyone who saw that penalty will and, and re, will remember it because he took it like a goal kick, but it went into that <laughs> very same top corner. But right. it's so hard; it was a miracle the goalposts itself didn't take off. Kevin Pressman, that is not a person I thought we'd be talking about on the <laughs> on the podcast today. But but there we go. So another victory for Barcelona. They had to work a little bit harder for this one than perhaps their previous three games, which they were victorious by scoring four goals. This time it was only two goals, but on they march up to third in the table now, Sid. And they've got a game in hand on Sevilla, who are above them as well. It's at home to Rio, win that, and they're potentially just four points off second spot. And who knows? A couple of weeks ago, you asked me where Barcelona are going to finish, and I said second. And I'm, that's I'm, it. I'm, I'm, I'm starting to St- see that that's yeah, more... It is possible. You know. they're, they're, they're obviously going to be battling with, with Atleti, with whom they are level on points now. It's the first time uh, since match day one that Real Madrid, Sevilla, Barcelona and Atleti are all in the top four. I... I dared to call them the big four on Twitter today, which thanks to a retweet from you and your half a million followers got me a lot of, uh, a lot of attention. Some of it good from Sevilla fans going, yeah, we're in the big four. And a lot of it really rather negative and and, and mean and personal uh, from, from Valencia fans who who did not accept it. Oh, I see. They was like, what do you mean big four? They're not the big four. We're in the big four. I was like, all right, all right, guys. But I think, you're not Sorry, you're not. No, exactly, exactly. That's it. And I, I suppose it, it, it kind of depends on how you're defining the sort of you know, a loose term. You know, what is but, bigness? But they are yeah. absolutely, they are absolutely the four teams who, at the start of the season, you would say who finishes yeah. the top four. I mean, last, four. last, absolutely, a hundred. Last season, are. Sevilla finished. 34 points ahead of Valencia. Uh, they finished 17 points. Yeah, they finished 17 wow. points ahead of them the season before, and they're currently 19 points above them. I mean, Valencia, uh, Sevilla were, were miles clear of, 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 of fifth for the last two seasons. I mean, they've been comfortably uh, the fourth. And yeah, all right, we know. Uh, they There are other teams with a lot of history, a lot of fan base, and blah, blah, blah. But Sevilla, they've won six European titles, six Europa Leagues since yes. the last time yeah. that Valencia won a European title. So, listen, Valencia fans, lots of history, lots of tradition, big, big club with a big, big fan base. You're not in the big four at the moment. Anyway, it's a fluid concept and it can change. Uh, but, yeah, as I was saying, the top... <laughs> it, it will, will change. change. In 20 yeah. years' yeah. time, we'll be going, look at that, Real Oviedo in the top four. Yeah, where they Ray, should be. Real Oviedo, Rio, and, uh, and who knows who else. Um, 
but Atleti are there for the time being after a, a 3-1 win against Betis. Uh, Jao Felix is on fire. Four goals now in his last four games in all competitions. And it's really, really, really important for Atletico Madrid to have him playing well, being confident and scoring goals. So this Atleti performance, it was interesting. I don't think Betis deserved to lose this game. No, it's very strange. I don't know how to analyse this game. And I was having this discussion with uh, Felipe Ricci last night, who's the correspondent here for Gazetta. And, um, and he said, like, this is the best I've seen this season. And I sort of said to him, yes. But no, <laughs> because because I've seen them play much better than this lots of times. And lose. Play. <laughs> control, yeah. Exactly. Control of the ball, chances made, a sense of kind of being in charge of the game. And yet it is also true that on the break last night, and against a Betis team that allowed them to break a bit too easily a couple of times, at least a couple of times, Atletico must have made four absolutely clear-cut mm. chances. Like, absolutely, you know, you have to score this. And they missed two or three of them. Um, and, and so you look at it and you think, this is sort of what you want Atletico mm-hmm. to be. And I, I, but I think, I think it would maybe be a step too far to believe, if you like, that that's it, it's mm. done. And you've found yourselves again. And there are elements that they've definitely found again. And that contundencia that Simeone always talks about. And the, the pace on the break, which is really important. And the fact that they're scoring goals, which is important. But if you look at this in the context of the game, I thought Betis were by far the better team in mm-hmm. the first half. But by far, the second half is different. It is true. But this is a Betis team without Canales. A Betis team without Moreno, who it turned out was really important at fullback. A Betis team without Bellerin at the, in the other fullback position. Um, a Betis team who I thought kind of crumbled a little bit as the half went on, which perhaps is not surprising given that they, they played that Copa del Rey semi-final on, on Thursday, uh, Thursday yeah. night, wasn't it? Um, and so, so those are the caveats, but there are definitely things to be pleased about with Atletico, not least that sense, that, as Simeone said, of kind of things falling into place in terms of, a, if you like, a collective identity. Mm. If only a collective identity insofar as thinking, yeah, we are a collective. Not necessarily how we play, but we are a collective. We are in this together. And Simeone made a point mm-hmm. last night, which I don't know exactly if he was making this point to try and tell Suarez this, or making this point to try and tell everyone else about Suarez. And, and I think there's a big difference. And he said at one stage uh, in a post-match press conference, look at Suarez. This is a big name, a big player, who is accepting not playing until we're ready for him until we want him. And I don't know if that was trying to convince Swarov, look, I, 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 I'm grateful yeah. for this. Or if it was trying to tell everyone else, look how good he is. And I suspect there might be a bit of both. And I suspect that Swarov is, well, in fact, we know that Swarov is not happy hmm. about this. Yes, you can, can readily assume that. Um, Sydney, talk to me about Marcos Llorente. Uh, not about his glistening eyes, his glistening teeth, his rippling abs or his magnificent hair. Don't talk about that at all. None of that. Talk to me about his footballing hmm. ability and how important he is to this team. Well, I just, I, I was watching him last night and we'd already sort of touched upon this recently, but watching him last night and just thinking, my God, you had this guy right back. <laughs> now, admittedly, not all the time, and I don't want to make this about blaming Simeone, who clearly knows a lot more about football than me. But watching him last night, just thinking, it's criminal that this guy was anywhere other in, than in this mm. position. Um, and and it, I thought he was fantastic last night, his... his his, not just his speed and his athleticism, but his speed in seeing it. So, for example, the one that he crosses, that he gets into the air and he pulls it back. It's a brilliant pass to him by Rodrigo the Paul, mm. by the way. 
But he makes the pass on the touchline, giving it to Rodrigo de Paul, and then turning and going before Rodrigo de Paul's even returned mm. it. To say, go on then. And in a way, you forced your teammate to make that pass. And he's so important like that. And, and yes, he can do a good job as a wing-back. He can even do a good job as a full-back. But this was... And I, I think I can say this with a certain degree of security, although you may be able to come up with examples that contradict this. But this was, in my opinion, by far and away the best midfielder in Spain mm. last year. And statistically, the, most, the, the greatest contribution of any midfielder in Spain last year in terms of goals mm-hmm. and assists. And I know they're not the only contributions you can but make. They're, they're, they're good ones. But they're, yeah. they're, they're, but they're pretty big ones, yeah. And, and just you speak, put him there. Yeah. They don't mess around with these other, with these other um, guys because he's the best. He is. He's also so handsome. Oof. Well, he's got this um, a fantastic uh, sort of, I suppose, uh, sort of glorious 1950s American high school quarterback sort of look to him, yeah. hasn't he? He's kind of he's he's sort of he's almost too clean yes. living to to be yeah. real. Maybe like a, yeah, like a sort of a, a, a jock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's a jock. He's a, he's a jock, or a, he's not quite a matinee no. idol. That's more uh, that's more RDP. Yes. Uh, uh, sorry, RDT even RDP is yes. the other one. Um, but but there's something sort of very American frat high school movie. Jock, sort of. There is. Yeah. There is. There we go. I'm, I'm, I'm glad we got into that kind of discussion because this is what uh, people uh, tune into this podcast for. I was watching social media as I often do uh, yesterday, and I saw that Roy Keane was trending, former Manchester United midfielder who uh, decided to have a, another rant about Manchester. I was going to say, who was he growling well, he was just at? Just growling time. generally at Manchester United and their uh, apparently dismal display against Manchester City in the. In the Manchester derby uh, yesterday, I got me thinking: Is do we do we have a, a Roy Keane figure here in in Spain in terms of pundits, in terms of journalists, in terms of someone who's sort of always angry uh, and likes to sort of tear into no. people? We don't really, do we? We don't have someone angry. I think we maybe we have a little bit of Santi Segurola being not sort of so much angry, grumpy, sort of grumpy. Yes. And, and, uh, but grumpy in a, in a way that Segurola's thing is that he has a very clear sense of how the game should be played and he doesn't have a huge amount of patience with the game played other ways yes. um, he's, he's very much a, a Guardiolista Bielcista um, I, I don't know what you'd call it and he likes that kind of play yeah. and, and, and that, to be fair to him he's entirely consistent mm-hmm. with that so, so you know he, he will embrace teams that play that way maybe Bernd Schuster and there's a Actually, Bern Schuster is, is enjoyably yes. grumpy. Yes, Bern Schuster Maybe is not quite as aggressive as, as, as Roy Keane. But no, yeah. he's nowhere near as aggressive, yeah. but, he, but he's dismissive. Bern Schuster, I mean, for those who haven't heard it, if you get the chance to, and we'll see if we can find it, there's a fantastic bit of um, punditry. Uh, it's about a year or two old now, in which he's asked if he's seen... There's an Inyaki Williams goal. I think it's an Inyaki Williams goal. And he says, I was asleep. <laughs> And they said, you're on the radio late night, so it's fair enough that you receive. And they said, well, what about the first time? He said, I was making dinner. And I just thought, this it's just a brilliant, like, why would I bother yeah, with I mean, this? You know, even if you are doing that, don't say it. Don't say it on the radio by the yeah. radio station that are paying you to, to comment on these games. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, just a, a little a little aside there. Uh, quick mention of uh, Bobby Brown, uh, Robert Moreno, who, who got sacked by, by Granada. It was inevitable, Sydney. I know you've been writing about this today. It was yeah. inevitable right from the right from the start of the season, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly that. Thank you. That's <laughs> that's basically what I've been writing. And and you know, sometimes I I I am fearful of of dealing with the things that I've been writing about when we talk because I think, damn, if only we'd done this podcast earlier. Because you've always got loads of great ideas that I didn't have or ideas that challenge some of mine. 
And that's one of the things that I thought about Moreno. Um, and actually, funny enough, I've found a WhatsApp note on our, on our WhatsApp from August the 28th. So what is this, two games into the season? Maybe three? Saying how long before Moreno gets sacked. And there was something... To be fair, it's taken about, a while. It's, well, that, that's basically what I was writing about <laughs> today. That, you know, this is a man who got sacked early because it's only 27 games into his career at Granada. But it actually doesn't feel early. Mm. It feels like it could have happened ages ago. Uh, and it partly didn't happen because I looked this up. So it was week eight that uh, Paco Lopez and Mitchell were sacked. And week eight when he would have been sacked. But he won that week mm. against Sevilla. Mm. And that was their first one of the season, eight games into the season. But it's not just about that. I think it's about him and about them. And it's about the, the, the if you like, the context at Granada was that he's not Diego Martinez. And there's also that, that sense, and I don't know about you, but I always felt this all day for the season. And, and this is a horrible thing to say, but let me say it. There, there was just sort of a sense that there was no real warmth for him. They, they, some, sort of fundamentally... That's not that horrible. Kind of I thought you were going to say something much worse. Saying someone's no, not very warm is, you know... No, 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 but, the, but there wasn't warmth towards right. him. But fundamentally, they just kind of didn't like him. Yeah. That, he, that there was a sort of a, a hint of... And I, I watch him, and, I, and I'm very lucky to say this because I don't know him very well. Um, in fact, I barely know him at all. And obviously followed him quite, quite a lot more closely with the Spanish national team. And I liked him more then in that context until the end when it started to unravel. But doing press conferences this year and listening to him a lot and, and so on, there's a sort of a sense of kind of a combination of a touch of being a, a little bit chulo, as the Spanish say, which I suppose is sort of cocky, sort of arrogant. It's not quite, doesn't quite yeah. express it, but yeah. almost. It's that, isn't it, more or less. There's a, the, uh, the, the, he's a little bit chest out. He's a little bit pouty. He's defensive. Got a touch. Yeah, I was going to say. Well, that's the next thing I was going to say. He's got a touch of victimhood about him, and 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 there's a sort of a defiance as well, which I think hasn't always gone down well. So, to give you an example, they chanted for him to leave on the 23rd of September, I think it was. I think that's the Real Sociedad game, but I can't remember which game it is now. And that's despite having written about it today. But it was it was it was not even the very end of September. It was the mid mid to late September, and they chanted for him to leave. And he sort of stands on the touchline and does this sort of smile that sort of is ironic stroke sarcastic. And I think that just upsets people more. Which, by the way, there's no reason why it should. Because why shouldn't he smile at you having a go at him? He then comes into the press conference after the game. And this is the, the, the way I've opened what I wrote about today. And says, Diego Martinez is not here anymore. I'm your manager. And there's this sort of sense of him being really aware that Diego Martinez is not there anymore, but sort of feeling slightly bitter about the fact that they're still clinging to Martinez, mm. which is natural because he's the best manager they've ever had. And as I was saying this to Al just before we started, and, and it's how I kind of was thinking about it today, Diego Martinez, and there's a, actually a quote from the club's um, general manager, uh, Patricia, is it Ramirez, her surname? I think it's Ramirez. Mm. And she says, you know, he casts a long shadow, Diego Martinez. And I always felt with Roberto, uh, sorry, Robert Moreno that he wasn't just trying to step out of the shadow. He was trying to sort of fight the shadow. <laughs> he was sort of trying to throw punches at a shadow. Yeah. And there was a sort of a pointlessness about it all. Mm. That, that I just sort of think, even when they were winning and they went on that seven-game run where they didn't get beaten, which is a club record, even then there was no warmth towards him. There was never a sense that... And I think now that he's gone, no one cares. Mm -hmm. And it's a slightly weird and slightly sad position to be in. And put it this way, again, I don't want to read too much into this, but, and I may be wrong, and it may have happened in the last few hours without me noticing, as far as I've seen so far, not one Granada player has put out the obligatory tweet. Oh, really? Saying, thanks, mister. Oh, that is quite telling, isn't it? 
Yeah. Uh, Granada now just one point above the relegation zone after they lost and, and Cadiz won at the weekend. So they are very, very much in this battle to avoid a relegation. It's going to be interesting, actually, because some of the teams in the relegation zone that we thought were, were done and dusted for have started picking up points. Obviously, yeah. Alaves drew at the weekend and, and Cadiz won. So Granada are one point above the relegation zone. Mallorca just two points above it. Getafe three points and, and Elche are, uh, are five yeah. points. So a lot of, lot of, Teams looking over their shoulders and, and yeah, and there's a couple of things things worth throwing in there. Obviously, one is that actually things didn't improve for Alaves when Mendelibar took over, but they're starting to now. Mm-hmm. So it's four games, only one defeat in four games. Admittedly, two draws and a win, so it's not many points, but it's the beginning of something, isn't mm-hmm. it? There's a slight hint that Levante have a weensy bit of a chance. I don't think they do, to be honest, but you know, maybe a weensy bit of a chance. And Cadiff, I, I, I want to bring Cadiff up, if only because of the fantastic quote from Sergio after the game at the weekend. He said, it's like we've cleaned out the shit from a van. And the van is clean now. <laughs> Did he really say that? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Em, is, em, em, yeah. Hemos limpiado la mierda de un camión. Well, it's a truck, it's, it's a, a lorry. Truck, it's a lorry. It's not even yeah. just a van, it's a lorry. Yeah, yeah. We've cleaned out this lorry load of shit, basically. <laughs> There we go. Pod title for today, I think. Lorry load of shit. Um, that's that's just about all we've got time for on that delightfully scatological um, uh, cam- uh, caveat. Uh, let's talk about the Segunda before we go. The top two both lost this weekend. Almeria beaten 2-0 at Zaragoza on Friday. Eibar beaten 4-1 uh, at Cartagena on Sunday. That means Eibar are top. 59 points. Almeria second, a point behind them. They're level with Valladolid, who won at Tenerife. Girona beat Oviedo 2-1. Christian Stuani with the winner. With the winner, he's now top scorer in Segunda with 16 goals. Very, very impressive indeed. Just one ahead of the mighty Ruben Castro, still banging them in at the age of 41. Extraordinary. Uh, this week... We've got Real Madrid against PSG on Wednesday night and Betis against Eintracht Frankfurt also uh, on the same night. Then on Thursday, it's Sevilla against West Ham. Fantastic. And Barca against Galatasaray. Looking forward to all those fixtures. We've got that bonus pod uh, coming up on Friday to discuss them all. A Q&A podcast out tomorrow. Uh, TSFP presents At The Games, which is our guide to watching football in Spain, we talk about a different city in each episode, where to go, where to eat, how to get to the stadium, practical advice. It's a good listen. Hopefully you can join us at patreon.com forward slash TSFP. Otherwise, it's all right. We'll be back here next week as we always are. Adios. Cheerio. Cheerio.